Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 259 of Dogcast Radio, which is full of festive fun for you. Later, we have Nicola Jane Swinney to talk about 101 Dogs, her book all about dog breeds, which you can win a copy of. I think that's what's so lovely about dogs. They do have very definite personalities. Before that, we have Meredith May talking about her book, which tells the story of Edie. Most of us, when we get a dog, are hoping for something. Companionship, support, an exercise partner, an agility or flyball dog. Whatever our dreams, we envisage how life will be. This can be especially true if we've already enjoyed life with a dog and are hoping to find the same joy again. But sometimes things don't pan out that way, though it can still be life-enhancing. Here's Meredith to tell us more. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Thank you. And we're going to talk about your book, Loving Edie, How a Dog Afraid of Everything Taught Me to Be. And I, I always think every dog teaches us a different thing and takes us on a different adventure. And sometimes the it's not the adventure you signed up for but if you can just be brave enough and love the dog enough to go on that adventure you'll be where you need to be so I mean but certainly Edie took you on an adventure didn't she gosh oh my gosh yes I mean I put so much expectation on this little puppy like this puppy was supposed to um, fuse my wife and I into a family you know we were recently married we didn't have children and I had had two previous golden retrievers before we got Edie. And they were both, um, well, how do I say this polit- politically correctly? They were traditionally normal without any emotional problems. Um, and I've since learned the language. Uh, but <laughs> this puppy was nothing of the sort and took us on a wild ride. And, um, you know, we learned we learned the long way. And in the beautiful way that the right dog comes along at the right time, for sure. Oh, yeah. I I, I can identify in many ways because I, I don't know how how, um, how enthusiastic your wife was about getting a dog. But certainly I had to really sell getting a dog to my husband. He wasn't a dog person at all. And um, I mean, he, he'd had a dog as a, a, as a child, in a family dog, but he wasn't really the, the mover and the shaker and the getting a dog. So when we got one. And Buddy was great. I mean, he, he he was really great, but it was like constant vigilance. And is he going to pee? Is he going to poo? And it was hard work. And I remember after 10 days thinking, oh, my goodness, what have I done? And I couldn't say that to him because I'd campaigned to get this dog and I couldn't turn around and go, oh, this is too difficult. I mean, you, I persevered, but I, I, I think everybody has that what have I done moment. But I guess that was that that's tricky then, isn't it? Because if you've if you've told your partner this is going to be great this is having a dog I've done it before we're going to have a great dog oh my goodness and then things don't go quite as you think that's that's quite a challenge then isn't it oh completely I mean this this dog totally challenged our relationship because my wife had a bad experience with pets when she was younger I mean she Mm. grew up in a rural area and she had a quite abusive stepfather and she was never allowed to have pets but she would bring strays and then when this stray would, um, and mostly kittens, um, but one time a puppy, and when the pet would inevitably uh, irritate the stepfather, he would make them disappear. Oh. And so she was really traumatized. And, yeah. and so, and she also worked full time as a police lieutenant in San Francisco. And, and she, 
she was, yeah, I had to campaign really. (laughs) It took about a year. And, um, she finally relented. I caught her on a good moment. We had just um, come back from New Zealand on a, a, a month-long trip, and we were in a good mood. We were actually standing in customs, and uh, I made a call to a um, person I knew who had golden retrievers, and he had one left. So we it was meant to, to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But then, yeah, you know, it was. She turned out she was great with the puppy. She got up every time EDP'd, and you know, yeah, there's the the work that happens immediately when you have a a little puppy, like up and down, sleep, poop, rinse, wash, repeat, you know, constant (laughs) that 24. She was great with that. Um, But when we realized our puppy had severe anxiety and problems, um, that's when it got really difficult. Um, Probably explain what was going on with our puppy. What I mean by that. Yeah. Um, she has extreme fear. So when we were trying to teach her to uh, walk on a leash, she wouldn't walk by a person, a dog, a fire hydrant, a garage door opening, like any movement, she would freeze and pull back to the house. We could not even get around the block. And a couple of times she broke free and fled just ran into traffic one time. She almost ran off a cliff at the beach one time. So it wasn't puppy fear. We thought it was at the beginning, but it's, it's like neurological meltdown. She has panic attacks. So um, that's what we were dealing with. And so I was the stay at home writer and I was trying to figure out what this puppy needed. And I was trying everything. I went on this big, big adventure uh, research, internet dives, trying to figure out what she needed and what to do. And and the book is really about how I tried everything under the sun, trying yes. to fix her. Oh, because at one point you went to a medium, is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I We tried an animal communicator too. And, it, and this person um, works over the phone. She didn't come to the house, which I thought was what it was, but she um, talks to Edie over the phone. Um, we gave it a try. I mean, we were desperate at that point. I mean, at that point, they're working with specialists and behaviorists and uh, veterinarians. And uh, I was trying sound therapy and um, Xanax and Prozac and CBD and calming sprays, everything, calming beds, thunder shirts, noise canceling headphones. So, um, yeah, we worked with the medium and the medium said that Edie was afraid of uh, traffic mostly. And that's true. Yeah. Um, we, and we kind of knew that and we were trying to find out uh, why. And um, the medium said, well, even the dog doesn't know why, like fears can go back to a past life. So wow. we got some information, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The thing is though, when it's your dog, there is a, you, you can't walk away. There's a, you know, with, with somebody else's dog, if they say, well, I've got this problem, whatever, you know, it's it's easy to go, oh, what you want to do is this and, and think of some advice or say, oh, we'll see this behaviorist there, marvelous, this trainer. But when it's your dog, it's a whole other level of responsibility and and, and almost almost panic for you, isn't it? That, I, you know, I have to solve this. This is my life now. I can't walk away. Oh my goodness. What do I do? It, it's quite intense, isn't it? It was very intense. Yeah, it got to, it got really stressful because, um, you know, when we realized, 
realized that Edie can't function in a stimulating, busy city. We're living in San Francisco. She, everything scares her. We, I really felt housebound. Yes. Like, yeah. Am I going to live for the next 10 or 11 years indoors with a 65 pound dog that needs exercise? Like, how is that going to work? I was really thinking about it pretty selfishly. Um, the book is kind of about how I pulled it. You know, it, the book is about Edie, but it's really about my relationship with Edie and how I evolved and grew and, and became a more mature less self-centered person. But um, at the beginning, I was thinking, what are we going to do? How is this dog going to get physical exercise? But also it was quite selfishly, how how sad that I'm not going to be part of this vibrant dog culture in San Francisco. Statistically, there are more dogs than children in San Francisco. It is, it is, a center for, for dog life. There are so many parks. There are dog cocktail parties there on, on the roof of the WAG hotel. There are dog spas, dog, you know, it's just, you walk through the world with a dog in San Francisco and that's your main sort of way of communicating with strangers. Everyone knows your dog's name. They may not know you. So I was thinking, oh my gosh, I love that part of the city, but I I can't do it now because of my dog. And I was really sad about that, actually, because I had been without a dog for a year. And that's one of the main reasons I got a dog again. I wanted to be back in the mix of all of this. And most of my friends have dogs and we would walk our dogs together and I would still go without my dog. But you're kind of on the side. Yeah, yeah. That was part of the that was part of the trouble, but um, we had to have some serious conversations about what are we going to do because Edie was getting to be a danger to herself, and also, um, you know, she we we had tried leaving her with a friend a couple of times to like go on a date or whatever, hmm. and she had actually um, pulled our friend onto the ground running, you know, she was endangering other people. And the time she ran into traffic, you know, thank goodness, nobody got hurt. But what if she'd caused an accident? What if she'd hurt somebody? What if, you know, we ran into traffic blindly, just instinctively ran after her. And it was two lane traffic. We were running against it uphill. You couldn't see what was coming. And she's running through the middle up the white line divider. And what if my wife had gotten killed? What if, you know, so we had to have some serious conversations about can this dog function and are we, how much of a liability is she to herself and other people and us? And where is the boundary of our compassion versus the reality of being safe and safe to other people? So it was, it got really difficult and we decided we would try for one more year. And if she didn't improve and our life was still like this. And so precarious, we would have to find a farm in the middle of nowhere and someone to adopt her. And ultimately we might have to put her down. Yeah. Yeah. Which as you say, is a a very, very difficult thing to have to even contemplate. Never mind back actually go through with, but that's, you know, you have to evaluate her quality of life and, you know, we can't do the things with a dog that we can with a person who's having panic attacks and and a panic attack is so, well, can be so 
debilitating and confusing and disorientating. And I mean, it's no way to live, is it? So if, if, if a lot of things, if a lot of, of circumstances are, are sending you into a spin like that, it's it's just, it is no way to live, is it? Gosh, my goodness. When you gave yourselves that year, and I think that's a brilliant way to deal with it, to go, okay, we're going to, because that's a lot to deal with. Whereas if you know there's a cutoff point where a decision is going to be reached, okay, we're going to commit to this for a certain amount of time. That's great. So, so how did you then move forward within that year? Well, we realized we had a dog that was not a city dog and we lived in the city. So we realized that we cannot just clip her to a leash and go where we want to go. Like we have, we have to rethink everything about how we move through the world. So if we go to, um, if we want to take her on a hike, it has to be a weekday, six in the morning, isolated hike in the mountains and maybe we only go for five minutes. And then the next time we try it, we try 10. And so we had to, we learned that we had, she has to acclimate to a place and we have to keep going to the same place and it has to be a quiet place and it has to be on her terms. If she decides she's had enough, we don't push it. You know, sometimes we just go to the place and sit in the car and look at the place and smell the place. So we had to, we had to learn to readjust our thinking and not put any judgment on it if she can't do it. Like, that's as far as she went that day. That's great. Or maybe we learn this is a place she cannot handle. It's off the list. Now we got some information. So we just had to learn um, to what to consider a win and and stop being so pushy with her. You know, like having a dog, it's it's not all about the person. You know, it's, we had to learn how to read her body yeah. and to tell she was on her way to panicking. I never paid this much attention to my dogs before. You know, which way is her tail wagging? Is she drooling? I I learned that um, yawning, like a, one of those big crocodile yawns with a snap at the end is a sign of stress. Mm-hmm. Drooling, that's more obvious, but um, just the widened eye, um, just feeling her body. If it feels, starts feeling like wood, okay, she's not liking this because the poor guy, creatures, they can't talk, right? And you, and yeah. I had to learn how to speak dog and I got a lot of help um, from uh, a behaviorist who uh, was brilliant at sort of teaching me to look through the world through her eyes. So that was what we did. We switched up um, our whole idea of what it was to live with a dog. Wow. And that's, that's huge because, you know, selfishly or not a big part of why you get a dog is usually I want to, and that can be, I want to do a sport or I want to play fetch with them, or I want, I want to go on walks or, you know, or I want to cuddle on the sofa. You know, we have an expectation. And when that suddenly goes, that's, that's a big loss that I think you do have to adjust to and in some ways mourn. And I think particularly when you've had a dog and you've shared that joy of the shared activity, whatever that is, you do want to find that again, don't you want to find that, that, I want to be a team with a dog again. And that's, again, that's a big thing. And then, then, you know, it's almost like a rejection if the dog doesn't want to do it. And and so to turn that around and say, okay, I'm going to look at that, at how, at how the, from the dog's point of view, at how the dog is seeing that, that is just perfect, but it's a big adjustment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I learned that it's not the Meredith show all the time, you know, like, yeah. and, and I also learned that, um, and I think this is really important. I think, you know, the theme of, of loving Edie is really motherhood. 
Um, yeah. I was very tentative or just a very afraid of the whole concept of motherhood because I was raised by uh, a mother who was very, um, a self-centered, she's mentally ill. And she talked openly about, um, her whole life about wishing she'd never had children. And so I absorbed that. And I absorbed the lesson that like to give birth is to die yourself. And I think I have half her DNA. And I was also afraid I would put a child through that. Um, so I thought it was too selfish to have something to care for. So when Edie came around asking me to help her and protect her and, and be her mother figure, Mm -hmm. I really resisted that. I was really frustrated with it, but now I realize that's the beautiful thing about this. Like she's four, she just turned four yesterday and she's really come a long way. And part of the reason is we moved to the country from the city. We moved back to my hometown in Carmel Valley. And now she Mm -hmm. has 10 acres to roam and friends, dog friends on the street that she's learned to be okay at their house. So she has five or six friends and this is her little orb and she's great. But uh, when she does panic, um, she doesn't run anymore. She runs to me. And that is the most amazing feeling. That is so much more than having super awesome dog who can go kayaking with you. Is having like her run to me and say, make me feel better. And I know exactly how to make her feel better. I know how she likes it. I know what she needs. And when I do make her feel better and then we're back, back on track, it's the win is way, way, way more. So that's the the long way around lesson she taught me. Yeah, that is beautiful. That really is. You know, you've got the relationship you wanted with your dog when they actually, I need help. I need safety. You're it. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, that is, that's beautiful. You're doing exactly what you need to do. And I absolutely agree with you that we are our dogs and our cats and our, our companion animals parents and i don't mean that in a in a silly fluffy way i do mean in a very practical way that we we meet their needs in the same way that we do a child and you know we educate them and we love them and we feed them and we all and entertain them and show for them and every, all of that which is a very parental role and i think that is why when when we lose them when they die that's why it hits you so blooming hard because it's in that parental zone sort of in your in your heart and your feelings that that's your role and and your role is to protect them and to look after them and defend them and and that can be very very difficult at at times but obviously you've risen to the challenge perfectly and Edie knows she's got safety and and love and protection with you that's wonderful yeah it's a really good thing and and the more that she feels calm and safe the more she's able to try and do um but I'll give you an example, like um, the dog door. When we yeah. moved to the new house, it is a kind that has saloon doors. Yeah. The old house had the rubber flap. So she was wary of this and it took uh, a long time to teach her how to use it. It took probably eight months. She was mm-hmm. so afraid of this door and we would hold treats on the other side and coax her through. And she went through when she was one time and then changed her mind and backed up and it oh. went... Yeah. Yeah. So then it became a guillotine and she was going nowhere near it after that. But um, like my other dogs, if they'd had a setback like that, it maybe would have upset them for a day, but they would have managed to learn that dog door in a week or so. But this was eight months of 
trying a little bit each day, opening the door for her sometimes, teaching her how we went through it ourselves to show her, you know, but it, it's a, it's a process with her. You know, she, she has her, her setting point is um, distrust of anything until yeah. she decides it's okay. And so you just have to go at her speed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, again, that's a really important thing to, to learn that to give the dog space to make that decision. I mean, I had a black Labrador buddy and he, he was very bomb proof ish, you know, I mean, he really, really was. He was very, very good. One of the things that we encountered that I didn't realize would spook him never didn't even see it. We went to um, a castle and we went up the spiral staircase, got to the top, came to come down. And it was a very narrow uh, circular staircase came to come down. And he was just like, no, 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 I'm not doing this. This is too. And I was like, okay. And it took me a minute or so because I was going, come on, come on. I thought, right, okay, he's pulling. He thinks I'm going to pull him down. So I just took the lead off and sort of said, okay, it's your decision. And as you said, just put treats down the stairs and he had to come down a bit further. And then eventually he was like, oh, right, okay, I'm going. And, and, he, and he went for it and that was it. But it, that, I think that is a big lesson when you think, okay, you're doing this on your terms. I'm not going to make you. I'm here. I'm supporting you. I'm with you. I'm going to tempt you. But ultimately that decision is yours and I'm not going to, to push you. That's a really big, you know, from the dog point of view, dog's point of view, that's a big thing that their person is, is saying that to them, that I'm not pushing you. That's that, so important. I think. Yeah. They're talking to you. They're trying to tell you something and they're not being ornery. I, I think we anthropomorphize our dogs and we think that they're being like stubborn teenagers and won't go down that stairway because they're just in a mood. Yes. We're trying without words to say, this is too scary. This is frightening. And, you know, we have to, we have to listen yeah. and, and, and not take it personally. It's not that we're a bad dog trainer <laughs> yes. or, you know, that it says anything about us that our dog won't do something um, or it's not expedient. Like, come on, we're in a hurry. Let's go down the stairs. You know, Edie has an issue with doorways. Hmm. She'll stand there for you know, 10 to 30 seconds deciding should I, is in or out better. And you have to just wait, come on, honey. There are little flies coming in the house, get in the house. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like decisions are, are difficult for her because she has to weigh every option and decide, okay, I think it's safe. She's, she overthinks all the, um, possible bad scenarios that can happen and then has to rule them out slowly one by one. Oh, uh, you know, and I have friends who have um, children who are on the spectrum and they have told me that, yeah, doorways are a thing like what? deciding this or that better. And I don't know why can't animals be on an autism spectrum? I don't know, yeah. but I think it makes sense. We're learning more and more how similar we are and how similar, similarly structured our brains are with dogs and uh, people. So yeah, it makes yeah. sense. Mm -hmm. Do you know, I was just thinking that because they can get dogs to uh, put their heads still in an MRI, can't they? And they can, they can mm -hmm. look into it. And then I was thinking, yes, but a dog like Edie wouldn't do that because they'd be going, Oh my goodness, what is this thing? So we're going to have to wait. I believe that there will be walking <laughs> MRIs one day where you can just sort of look in, but then again, you've got to get the dog used to it. So, but that would be fascinating, wouldn't it? To get a, a better insight into when, this kind of the dog has this kind of um, condition mm -hmm. yeah. to, to get a further insight. Do, do you, did you get any answers as to why Edie is as she is? 
I got theories. Yeah. I assumed I would get to an answer. And, you know, as a former investigative reporter, by God, I was going to get there. And I spent, I read so much and I, I talked to so many people, but the common reasons why your dog can have uh, extreme fear is something happened in utero to the mom it scared the mom and, or the mom was ill, but sent a lot of cortisol into the womb and, and that uh, affected Edie or something happened when she was small. She like something happened to one of her litter mates or her mom and she saw it happen an accident or something scary or a barking dog or something happened to her when she's little could be a quirk of her DNA. Yeah. It's, you can't really pin it down. But I think the best thing for me is when I stopped trying to find out why and, yeah. and just tried to find out what combination of, you know, medication and over-the-counter things works best for her. And in her case, it's um, a low-dose Prozac and it's hmm. the exact same Prozac people take. So wow. she has that every morning and I can tell on the day I forget, she's way more vigilant. And, yeah. and every little noise. So she, yeah. So she's on Prozac and probably permanently. I mean, we can wean her off and try to see how that helps. But each time we've tried that, she's gone back to being more scared. So music really calms her down. And there's actually music that's programmed to calm dogs specifically. And it's usually um, classical um, sort of a down tempo. And so we play music for her and uh, she likes dog TV. Do <laughs> yes. you have that in England? We have it here. No, no. Oh, it's a streaming channel uh, yeah. for dogs. And it shows dog it, dogs playing, swimming, sleeping, cuddling. And it's shot from a dog's point of view angle. And then the colors are boosted for um, dogs. And it plays that music I was talking about that dogs like. And um, you can stream it for your dog. So people, they have videos that are to introduce dogs to new things or they have calming ones and people use it uh, if they go to work and they want to have their dog entertained or feel something in the house or to calm their dog. So Edie and I watch a little dog TV and so she'll see like a dog swimming in a swimming pool. And then that, you know, will help. I I taught her how to swim in our swimming pool. And that was also a very long process, but just to expose her to dogs doing things that she cannot do. She'll see them do it. Yeah. It's helpful. So yeah, we, that's lovely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We we must have that, we have access to that in the UK. So I'll I'll check that out. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm just thinking, thank goodness she ended up with you because Mm. I mean, she's, how, I mean, I'm sure she's lovely and wonderful, but that's that's a lot, isn't it? That's high maintenance. That's because I mean, I imagine as well, as you say, this is a lifelong condition. This is the long haul. This is something you'll have to manage, isn't it? Oh my gosh, I, I've had a golden retriever in my life since my 20s. I'm um, a little over 50 now. Um, in my 20s, I could not have had the. I couldn't have handled this. I, I wouldn't have had the time. Um, I was working full time for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, I, and I, and I wouldn't have had the money um, to buy her all the things she needs. And um, yes, I think about that a lot. And one of the, what her vet um, was extremely helpful. Um, The first time I saw 
um, I found the right vet. It took a while because hmm. a lot of um, vets didn't quite get it. So it told me it was just puppy fear or just said medication will take care of it. But this vet is holistic vet. She talked to me a lot about the emotions and the, 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 the needs of my dog. But when I first talked to her, it was like being finding the right therapist. I just, she said, how are you doing with all this? You know, and I started weeping because no oh. one had asked me that this was like in year one of this. Yeah. And, you know, you feel so bougie, like having, <laughs> wanting to talk about the emotional issues of your dog, but when it's only you handling it and you don't know what's going on, it's, it's really isolating. And yeah. so, um, this wonderful, uh, Dr. Angelique Caro really helped me understand. And what she said is dogs like the, she said, congratulations for keeping this dog alive thus far. And she was only a year and a half. Yeah. She said, most dogs like this don't make it. They either get in an accident or their owners bring them back to a shelter. They just can't deal with it. So I thought that was really interesting. And that stuck with me, like, congratulations. And then I thought, you know what, I can't imagine even if we found the perfect farm for her somewhere, like I just, I would be afraid to give her up because I, who can do this? Like yeah. who knows her neuroses the way I do. So um, yeah, it's a different kind of um, reward with this dog that I've ever had with the other ones. Yeah. And she's, she's, she's great. Um, we, we like a lot of people during the pandemic, we, um, got a camper van mm-hmm. <laughs> because we decided, okay, we're not going to be getting on planes for a while. And um, so we take little camping trips with her now. And she is a great road dog. She's comfortable if her house is with her at all times. So we just have to get the house to go with her <laughs> and she will actually camp and go on hikes. And um, so she's getting a little bit better. Wonderful. So she's getting experience, but yes, you know, um, we we are very fortunate. We have the means to be able to organize our lives in a way that also is good for her. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you, you can, and I'm so glad for her that she she's got you because obviously you're exactly the right people for her. That's wonderful that you you've found each other. That's that's great. We, we've talked about it a lot, and and um, it, wouldn't it, be, it would be great if people go and read the book and find out. Um, your and Edie's whole story because obviously there's a lot more that, that we can't fit in there. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah, I I I really w- would like people when you know there's a lot of there are two camps uh, about getting a dog. You know the shelter only, and then you know and and the breeder right. And there there there's like very strong opinions on each side, and I've done both. Um, Edie was a breeder, but my, I should start, I should say my first dog was uh, a rescue and she Mm -hmm. was great. And my second dog was a breeder and she was even more great, but I researched the breeder and the, the breeder was very careful. She interviewed you and based on your life, she told you which dog you get from the litter, matching the personality and so what I, the mistake I made with Edie is I, I was so desperate for a puppy that I called a breeder and he said, well, there are only three females left and we have people coming by to see them. And so 
I took it as a competition and I raced to get there before the other people and picked Edie and then didn't ask very many questions. And he showed me the mother dog. I just sort of glanced at her, said, yeah, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I've had two goldens. So I was um, brash and I didn't ask enough and I didn't research the breeder and I just accepted the dog. And I think um, either way you're going to go, it's really, really important to find out as much as you can about the lineage of the dog and also the traits of that type of dog. You know, yeah. you if it matches your lifestyle, you don't want to get a herding dog if you live in an apartment and work full time outside the apartment. Yeah. So those are the mistakes I made. And so just really know what you're getting before you commit. And one's not necessarily better than the other. It's just make sure you're get, getting from a reputable, honest breeder. Yeah, yeah. And and equally, a reputable, honest rescue, because not all yes. rescues are equal, are they? And just the, the sort of thing like some rescues have a behaviorist, some don't, and they'll do a proper assessment and, and you know, help you. But as you say, whether it's a, a rescue or a breeder, you want somebody who's going to ask you those questions, who's going to grill you a bit and give you a little bit of a hard time. Don't be offended. They're giving you their baby, you know, to look after. So that's that's what you want, that kind of, you know, are you going to be worthy of that dog? It's what you want yeah. to do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, the person who sold sold us Edie, we just got there before the other people. And, and what they should have, they shouldn't just sell to the first buyer. They should be interviewing all of us and deciding which of us deserves the dog. You know, so there are a lot of clues there, but I was so blinded in, in you know, I finally got yeah. my wife to say, yes, let's go now before she changes her mind. Yeah. That, um, yeah. I, you know, I, I have a hunch that I didn't get from um, someone who knew what they were doing. There was someone yeah. who was just making money. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I completely sympathize though, because I mean, for example, I, I lost Buddy in uh, 2018. Uh, mm. Now, I, I then COVID put the kibosh on um us getting another dog at that point we still have jenny's dog in the house mischief who's wonderful and thank goodness for her because she kept us all sane through lockdown and i i am looking to get another dog now and we went to the vets recently with mischief and there was a poster on the um receptionist's glass screen saying there were labrador puppies literally just down the road from us and and she was you know she the receptionist was saying to me they're health tested and they're you know um they're good temperament and and they were marvelous and the, the the elbow and hip scores were just just they were so good they weren't even like on the charts and things like this and literally they were just like walking distance six houses down and I'm thinking they were Labradors and I'm like oh my goodness I was I really want one of these Labradors even though I know it's not the right thing. And I, I really sympathise because I came home and I've got those two warring things going on in my head. And I cried and cried because I was, you know, and I was saying to, to Mr. Dogcast, I was saying, there are Labrador puppies just down the road and they don't, you know, and these were fantastic dogs. They, they were everything you want to look for. But it was the hardest thing to think it's not the right time. It's not the right dog for me right now. But it's that that desire to, to that puppy broodiness, if you like, that I need a dog now. That's mm-hmm. so powerful, isn't it? I really sympathize. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a shelter and the, the dog cuddles up to you and you want to rescue the dog. But it's, you know, it's 
not the right kind for your lifestyle, but you feel a connection. Like, how do you walk away from that? It's There's a book I just read all Mm -hmm. about this called Meet Your Dog. And it's about the breeds and what they're like and the best kind of people to go with that kind of breed. And it was really eye-opening. And it it also said that um, a lot of shelters and also breeders don't tell the customers what the the personality traits are of those breeds. They don't say, okay, this dog, you know, really is a lap dog is not going to want to go on walks or this one needs to chew things all the time. You know, they, they, yeah. they, both the shelter and the breeder just really want the animal to be in a home, a home. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it, yeah. So um, yeah, yeah, a little more honesty there, I think it would go a long way. Yeah. But good on you. So you, you resisted. I did. I did. And I'm still now thinking I shouldn't have resisted. I should have gone. It's, you know, logically, I know I made the right decision, but oh my goodness, I really went through the ringer. And when we went back to the vets the next time, because we got three cats and a dog and they've all had health issues. So we've been back and forth to the vets. But when we went back the next time, the poster was gone and I was like, yay, <laughs> they've gone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they all made it. Yes. Yeah. yeah they all got wonderful homes. So uh, yeah, great. But um, it, it is difficult. But talking about that honesty, this is the best advice I've heard. This is from Debbie Connolly, who's a behaviorist in the UK. But she said, go, go to a rescue and see why those dogs ended up, why that breed you know, ended up in rescue. Why are they surrendered? What is it about them that people find a challenge? You know, And it may be something that it's not a problem for you. you know, for example, so with Labradors, that bounciness and that jumping up, I don't give a stuff about, I love it. I, I want a dog that sort of bothers me if you like. So that was, <laughs> that was great. But you know, that, and that's the joy of dogs. There's a dog out there for you. And it may be that there's a breed for you, or it may be there's an individual for you, you know, but there is the right dog is out there for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You yeah. just have to, you have to do your research. And in, in like, you, to your point, you're bringing a family member into your house, yes. you know, so it has to be someone who's going to mesh with, you, you and your family members and your other pets and any new babies that are coming along. And yeah. 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 Oh, it, it's been really wonderful talking to you and finding more about the story. Where can people find out more about you online? Uh, my website is meredithamay.net. And then uh, both Edie and I have Instagram pages. So I'm, uh, she's at loving Edie. And I'm at Meredith A. May. Smash it. We'll put those links on the on the website. Thank you very much. And, and the best of luck for the future. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I really appreciate it. We have the links Meredith mentioned at dogcastradio.com. And I wish her, Jen and Edie all the very best for the future. Their story is a testament to how strong the bond between us and our dogs can be, what our dogs can teach us and the challenges we can overcome together. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. There are so many dog breeds, each with their own look and, more importantly, their own temperament, tendency and history, which is great because it means the perfect match is out there for you. But finding them can be tricky. A new book, 101 Dogs by Nicola Jane Swinney aims to educate and entertain you, giving insights into many breeds in a way that will make you smile. 
Listen closely because we have a giveaway based on the interview. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. And to you, yes, because I've, I've been reading your book. Here, here we go. I've been reading Excellent. 101 Dogs. And, and I love it. It's, it's great. It's a real celebration of dogs. I, I, I it's, it's quirky and I like it. I really like that. Yeah, so, it's meant to be. Yes. Celebrating all the good bits. Yes. About yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about yourselves. Have you, have you always loved dogs? And how did you get into writing about dogs and horses? I've always loved dogs. Um, when I was a child, I begged my parents for a dog. Um, was never allowed to have one. I know the feeling. Did quite rightly they'd end up walking it when it was raining and all that kind of thing so but I remember reading um a book by Enid Blyton yeah. called Shadow the Sheepdog yes yeah and I just adored it it was the most beautiful book and the most beautiful story and the dog was adorable and I, I think that kind of made me want a dog but then you know as I grew up and left home and I've always worked full time so in in my view it wouldn't be fair mm-hmm. to have a dog if it was going to be left all like on its own all day I know people use dog walking services and so forth but it just never happened um I did spend a great deal of my childhood around horses yeah. and I rode from a young age and every waking moment was spent at the stable so I got a job after I trained as a journalist. I got a job on a magazine called Horse and Hound, which was known as the Equestrian Bible. Um, And it was my absolute dream job. So that's how I got into writing about horses. And then I was approached by a publisher with a book deal Hmm. um, and wrote my first book. And I think I've written 17 or 18 now. Wow. And... The pleasure of seeing the book in its form for the first time never, ever gets any less. It always makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a joy to when you see your words, which you've seen and read, you know, but when you see your words in the layout that the publisher is going to put them in, you know, I always get this with articles that... It's, you know, I've read the words, I, I wrote them, but when they do them as a layout, I'm like, oh, that looks so good. That, you know, yeah. it just gives it a different aspect, doesn't it? It really does. And it, and it brings it to life, I think. And this book, for me, is very different because it's illustrated by a bespoke um, drawings to go with the breeds. Mm. And the artist, Romy, has come up with the best illustrations yes and that I think really makes the book special yeah they are delightful aren't they they really are and she's captured the character so beautifully yeah and there's one of the breeds that I think it's a retriever and it's wearing a flat cap and I just love that (laughs) she's an absolute genius yeah yeah and again I I love the quirkiness of it because it complements your words so well doesn't it? it is a perfect match yeah, I couldn't. Photographs, although I've worked with some brilliant photographers, photographs wouldn't have had the same charm, I think. Yeah. I think that that's what it is. It's charming and enchanting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I'm just thinking we should, we should um, ask people if you've got quirky photos of your dogs. And I don't mean putting them in awkward positions. I don't mean that. But if you've got quirky, nice photos of your dogs that would illustrate the, the breeds to, to copy you in. We'll, we'll perhaps mention that and say, you know, if you've got photos that you think would, yeah. would be good. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and that would be fun because yeah. I, I look at TikTok and all sorts of social media and some of the dog videos and pictures are hilarious. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But we only want ones where the dog's comfortable with, with what they're doing. Oh, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, and natural. Yes. I hate the dogs being pulled around. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, dog, I, I tend to be a bit like, oh, I don't like dog clothes, but... I like dog clothes if the dog is cold. We, uh, w- when we first had a border collie, mm. he was miserable when it was cold and wet. And I completely mm. underestimated. He was very skinny when we first had him. And I completely underestimated how uncomfortable he was being cold and wet. So we got him mm. the coat, you know. Um, yeah. But it was for a function. And so that's where I'm yeah. going to draw the line. Is it for a function, you know, um, or it, yeah. is it for, fashion? Is it for me or for the, yeah, for the yeah. dog? So, uh, oh, yeah. Do agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, certainly with gun dogs, you can buy neoprene coats because yeah. obviously gun dogs often have to go into water yeah. during the shooting season and they will get very cold and wet yeah. and they can't immediately be taken home to dry off. Yeah. So they have these wonderful neoprene coats that fit them perfectly and they're, they're like little wetsuits for dogs yeah they're great yeah oh you say that it's funny because I had a Labrador no obviously he we went out for a walk we came home if he got wet we were back in the warm and dry very quickly um but he loved being rubbed down with a towel and we'd come oh, in yeah. yeah we'd come in on a summer's day and he'd be flicking his eyes at the towel kind of going any chance for any chance for a any chance? <laughs> you, but you're dry and it's warm <laughs> so again they, they all have their own preferences, personalities, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I think that's what's so lovely about dogs. They do have very definite personalities. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, they're part of the equation. They're not just a, a blob. They're doing what you tell them to do. They're not just no, extension. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They're part of the family. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, that comes across in the book because I'm just looking at my notes and that, one of the things I put was it's not just sort of facts and figures about the different breeds and, and because life with a dog isn't facts and figures isn't you can read all the facts and figures and how much exercise and how much grooming and whatever which is important stuff but mm. but they do have a personality and that's life with a dog that's that's the joy of this isn't it yeah very much so yeah and I, I'm glad that comes across yes in the book because I, I you know when when you're writing not very many words as Thankfully, that book was. Uh, we all like that, don't we? Not many words, big pictures. Um, you know, you you can cherry pick yes. what you write and the, the interesting, what, what I find interesting and what I hope readers will find interesting, you know, snippets of information about the dog. Yeah, yeah. And it's really great because obviously you go first of all, well, I, I went first of all to the breeds I know and I kind of read yeah. about the, the lab and I went, yep, yep, okay, yeah, you got that. <laughs> we looked at the Bichon Freeze and we had a Bichon Freeze. And, yeah. Oh, and, I love Bichon Freeze. Oh, oh, but you're right, they're always cheerful. That's what, one of the things I always say about her. You mentioned they're cheerful and she was. She came into <laughs> our house, she was a scrap of a puppy and the first day she was a bit kind of, oh, and, and checking things out and then the first morning we opened the crate and she came out, tail up like, Come on, I'm here. Let's have fun. You know? Oh, wonderful! Yeah, and that's that's what they are. And um, and the pom- we we've got a German Spitz client, but she's got Pomeranian in her in her. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, and the and the picture again, the illustration of the the pom really made me think of Missy. So uh, yeah, oh, that's lovely. I'm so pleased about that because yeah. that, that's that's what I was trying to get across. Yeah, how because they are so different. The oh, yes. you know, they are so different and of course to a great degree we've molded them yeah. we've made them what we want them to be for the job that we want them to do and 
the fact that they are all so different, I, th- I think, just makes them even more enchanting. Yes. Yeah. Do Do you think it's important that people do sort of find a bit out about the the dog and again not just the facts and figures but the sort Mm. of what it's like to live with that dog do you think that's important absolutely absolutely I mean I I know from my own research such you know breeds such as the greyhound and the greyhound is quite a big dog and everyone knows that greyhound are racers you know they're bred to race and they can run very very fast indeed And a lot of people think, oh, I I couldn't possibly get a greyhound because, you know, obviously they need to run miles every day, but they don't. Yeah. That's the thing. The greyhound is probably the laziest breed on the planet. Yes. A friend of mine had one and he just spent his entire life upside down (laughs) on his dog bed with all his long legs flapping in the air like this. And he was happy as Larry and he'd never have moved. Yeah, yeah. So you, you do need to know, you know, because if, if say you live in a tiny flat, you can't get a German Shepherd, for example, you know. And if you live in a mansion, you can probably have any breed you want. But it, it has to fit in with your life. And it's very important that your life fits in with it. Yes. As yeah, well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because an unhappy dog is a terrible thing. Yeah. They give us so, so much. I think I've said in the book, and I I believe this to be true, the dog is the only creature on earth that will love you more than it loves itself. Yeah. And I do believe that's true. Yes. Yeah. I I absolutely believe they they love us. and I believe they love us, as you say, more than themselves because they're just so centred on us. And and you know, and again, I always think we they make us the centre of their world. And they just, uh, have to, they just have to be a part of ours, you know, and we just have to make that the best part that we can make it because they do enrich our lives so much. They're amazing. They're amazing. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad you said that about the greyhound because people think about them as, as marathon runners, don't they? Mm-hmm. They're, just on the they're a sprinter. Actually, exactly what you said. Yeah. Sprint, then I just want to lie on, on the sofa. Thanks. <laughs> you know, yeah, and I, again, I didn't really get that until I, I um, I'd heard it, but I, I went to a friend's house and I said, because I always have to meet everybody's dog, you know, drive them mad. Can I meet the dog? Can I meet the dog? And I said, oh, can I say hello to Spike? And she said, um, he's in his bed. And I was like, well, <laughs> well can I just say, she said, do you want to stay in the hall? So I went, Spike, 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 Spike. And this dog just sort of lolled its head out of the basket and looked at me and kind of went, no, what? that's as much as I'm doing. <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> And there's another thing I always like to say, you know, I I like to meet a dog, but I like to meet a dog that likes to meet me. So if the dog's clearly saying, yeah. I'm going to stay in my bed, thanks. Okay, mate, you stay in your bed. <laughs> I have days you like that. You. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, but I, you know, I, I met, I mean, often it's quite a small dog that you sort of say, can I say hello? And the poor owner's going, come here, come here. And you go, no, 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 the, the, he doesn't want to meet me for whatever reason. You know, that's, that's okay. That's, I like to, to put that out there. Um, <laughs> what, what kind of feedback have you had with the book? Because I mean, I can remember, I, I had, I can't, I can't remember what the, what the book was called or what the publisher was. I'd love to find it again another day, but I remember I had a book as a child and that was illustrations, not, not photographs. Mm-hmm. And and I just read and reread and re- there were only about twenty five breeds in this book. But I just read and reread and reread, and I would choose a different 
dog that I would, you know, imaginary dog. Oh, I'll have that one this day. That, you know, and yeah. and I loved it. So, what what kind of feedback have you had? I've had some lovely feedback actually. I took photographs of some of the spreads as well as the front of the book and put them on Twitter just to say, you know, I'm so thrilled with this. And and I said something like, um, the words are brilliant, obviously, but the illustrations are fabulous. And one of my Twitter mates said, actually, I've blown up those images and read the words and the words the words are brilliant as yes. well as the illustration. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so that, that was delightful. And um, I, I met a couple of people on holiday a few years ago and we've kept in touch and they, their little boy has a dog yeah. and he absolutely adores dogs. And so I sent them a copy um, and signed it for him. And I had the most lovely message back saying he adores it he carries it with him everywhere he just loves it so yeah the, the feedback has been great yeah. really lovely yeah oh good good because it is smashing I've really enjoyed reading it it's, it's a really oh, good book good. So, thank yeah. you yeah. It, it was a, a lot of fun to write yes and not all books are fun to write but, you know sometimes you feel a bit kind of bogged down with the expectation um but this one was was just an absolute joy because yeah. as I say I could just cherry pick the fun bits yes. you know without going into all the detailed history which and get a bit shall we say dogged yes so, <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun to write yeah yeah it's like it's like the, the fun aspects of dog ownership kind of thing you you get the mm. funny that fun aspect um and also I, I guess because it was it's sectional in a in a way that you you know you could focus on this breed this breed that you know and you mm. was it, it, you could say right that's done now I can concentrate on this it's usually it's a lot of editing and going back isn't it in changing things. yeah but yeah this this was I imagine more sectional yeah it it was quite sectional um and the the kind of ethos behind the book hmm. was to illustrate how different the breeds are yes so I mean without checking I you know you might have a palm on one page and a German shepherd on another or you know opposite so that they're kind of little and large or or sort of skinny and shaggy and round and chubby and all that kind of thing so so that was fun what I did get tripped up by was at the bottom of each section some idiot me came up with the idea of putting most likely to say and least likely to say (laughs) now I thought that was hilarious when I started writing but when I came to going back and editing the whole manuscript, I found that I'd repeated quite a few of them oh. <laughs> and back into research to try and <laughs> something else. Oh. So, yes, hoist by my own petard, yes. I think that's <laughs> Well, you have a, a, an idea, you think, that's a good idea. You go, oh, right, yeah. Who <laughs> yeah. came up with that? Do, do you enjoy I mean generally do you enjoy the writing process and what 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 time of day what's your writing process like I do enjoy the writing process very much um I what I don't much like which I had to do a lot of obviously when I was working you know writing up for the magazine was doing interviews hmm. with people because I was always kind of afraid that either the tape wouldn't work or I wouldn't get them to say anything interesting, all that sort of thing. But I'm I'm trying to do more writing now and I don't really have a process. Hmm. 
I just because I'm sort of semi-retired I mean I'm still doing some freelance work but I don't sort of think right I'm going to start work at 10 and I'm going to write for an hour but I think I probably should because I think if you're trying to write anything having some sort of discipline is a good idea and even in that hour you sit and write absolute drivel because it doesn't always come mm-hmm. you know some some days you, you know yourself some days you sit there at a you know a blank document on the screen and think I am fresh out of ideas yeah and you can almost guarantee if you're in that sort of mood that anything you write is going to be rubbish but you should still write it yes yeah because there might be in there a little nugget that you can use yes yeah. So that's kind of how the writing process. And when I've been interviewing people, I've often they'll often say something and I'll go, oh, thank you. Yes. That's my intro right there. Yes. So it, it, it is a process um, and it's an enjoyable one, but it, it is also something that you do have to work at. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like a muscle, isn't it? Is that you, You've got to yeah, sort of keep absolutely. working it out and then, then you know, and, and some days you don't feel feel moved no. by the muse kind of thing but yeah you're right you, you've still got to you to just have it. to keep on at it like yeah. anything I suppose yeah yeah so I think it's quite a good idea though to I, I used to I used to have this idea that you know I could write if I had a you know an office and I, I always wanted an office that looked out on an orchard kind of thing and I used to oh, well. I could I could do that and, I, and then I, I just suddenly realized one day I thought do you know what you're just gonna have to write where you are and mm. the moment that I stopped being so precious about it and kind of thought, right, if, if I've got half an hour while I'm sitting waiting for Jenny, my daughter, to come out of a, a, a lesson or whatever, then that's what I'm going to, I'm going to take that 30 minutes, I'm going to write. And, and then, yeah. you know, that, that sort of helped me not, not to be so precious. But uh, I think we're all very good at finding excuses why we can't do yes. it now. Yeah. And I, I am terribly lazy and I do need to be really disciplined if I'm going to get something done. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's be be more German Shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh. do, do you have a favourite of the of the breeds that you've written about? Well, funnily enough, it probably is the German Shepherd. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just love German Shepherds. I think they're like to me, they're like a proper dog. Yeah. And I, I really like the big shaggy ones. Yeah. Um, some neighbours of ours some years ago had one called Jack. And he was the most beautiful dog. He was massive, yeah, but soft as anything. Yes, yeah. And our, our neighbour, Martin, used to bathe him on the pavement outside their house. And the dog would be standing on the pavement and Martin would be there with the hose washing him down. And Jack would have this steady growl the entire time. <laughs> and as I say, he was a big dog. Yeah. And you'd think, I'm not sure I'd want to get that close. <laughs> To his jaws. Yeah. Oh, bless. A, a funny story. Many, many years ago, um, I, I was 18 or 19. I had a boyfriend who had a German Shepherd dog. Hmm. Beautiful dog called Lassie. But what can you do? <laughs> and I, I think German Shepherds tend to be very one man dogs. Yes. Yeah. You know, that they'll oh, yeah. only really take commands from one person. And one day, this dog trapped my boyfriend's mother in the kitchen. Oh, wow. My boyfriend was out. Yeah. And for some reason, he just, the dog just decided that the mother wasn't allowed to leave the kitchen. Mm. 
And it's an awful thing to say, I know, but his mother was horrible. She was an absolute cow and she was vile to me. So the thought of her being trapped in the kitchen by this dog (laughs) absolutely made my day. (laughs) You were on the dog's side. (laughs) Always on the dog's side. (laughs) Yeah, I love German shepherds. Yeah, yeah. I also love golden retrievers. Yes, yeah. And I I just think they are the daffiest creatures. Yeah. You know, if, if you watch any TikTok videos with golden retrievers in, they are just completely daffy yes and I think I've said in my bio bit at the back of the book that I if I were to be a dog I would probably be a golden retriever yeah because I'm sort of blonde yes yeah never perfectly coiffured (laughs) a bit daffy and way too fond of (laughs) oh lovely lovely yeah it's funny because I, I really like pointers English pointers they are beautiful dogs. They're very um, regal looking, I always think. Very, you know, very aristocratic and regal looking. Yeah. But of course, and I love uh, sporty, short haired dogs, but of course they run. They were bred to run and run and run and run and run. I'm not going to run and run and run and run. You know? And I, <laughs> I, I acknowledge I can't give them the exercise they would need. So I'll admire yeah. them from afar. And I think that's important, as you said, to, to know about the breed and that it's needs Absolutely. Mesh and grooming is a thing as well. You know, some yes. people don't get that some dogs do need an awful lot of grooming. Yeah. Um, you know, like the Afghan hound is a, a prime example, but, you know, even the, the hairy German shepherds and other long haired breeds, they all need quite a lot of grooming. And if you're not prepared to do that, don't have that dog. Yes. You know, we, we as pet owners have a duty of care to our animals and we must make sure we do everything we can to give them what they need so that they have you know comfortable enjoyable lives yeah because they'll repay us a hundred thousand fold yes definitely absolutely absolutely did was there anything that you learned that you didn't know before while you were writing the book there there were quite a few things actually and of course I'm not going to be able to think of any of them now but in in the research process what what I tend to do is to look at the kennel club as a sort of starting point I also look at the American kennel club because they sometimes have some quirky little bits of information on there then there are various breed societies and various enthusiast societies so I'm sort of picking and choosing from lots of different areas. And sometimes, you know, I'll find a little nugget of something and I think, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, I have to go back trolling through to make sure that that is a verifiable fact. Yeah. And not just something that someone has thrown out there. You know, um, we all know never to use Wikipedia. Don't yes. We? Oh, yes. <laughs> There have been things, and there were a few things um, about various royal um, family members Hmm. who really um, championed a breed. Queen Victoria, for certain, and of course I can't remember which breed now. Um, Didn't she do that? Help develop Poms, Pomeranians. I know she liked them, didn't she? Yeah, possibly. I should have done some research. (laughs) 
you've done so much, haven't you? That you have to do so much. <laughs> yeah. And then it's, and also I found once you, once you've taken it in and written it, there's the something about writing it's gone out of my brain. I've yes. done, yeah. done that process and like move, I'm my not, brain's going, yeah. move on. <laughs> And there, there are, you know, some interesting things. You were talking about pointers. Mm. And, of course, they're called pointers because they point. Yes. They, you know, they will quarter, they will search. When they find a bird, because that's what they were bred for, they will stop straight at it so that the gunman can come and find it. Yes. And things like, um, I believe the cocker spaniel was known as a cocker because it was used to flush woodcock to guns. Oh, wow. And the springer spaniel would spring up mm. when it scented a bird. Wow. So there's, there's all these, you know, quite interesting things. Yes. Um, what one interesting thing I, I found interesting, um, the poodle, most people think, is French. Yes. And it's not. It's actually originally from Germany, oh, wow. where it was called a poodle hound, poodle meaning water. Yeah. And the poodle cut, you know, with yes. the, the, the hair on the face and on the chest that, that, that looks so ridiculous. That cut originally had, um, a, it was a necessity because the, the poodle's long coat could drag it down in water. It is a water dog. Yeah. The long coat would drag it down in water. So part of it was shaved, but the hair around the chest was left so that the animal would keep warm. So all, all these things, you know, pe- people see these, you know, these little toy poodles cut like that and think, oh, oh look at that, how ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But there was actually, like so many things, there was originally a reason for it. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? Because as you say, people think of poodles as a bit frou-frou and frivolous and, mm. you know, sort of a, a lap dog and they're not going to do much. But actually, they have a, yeah. a fantastic brain, don't they? And, yes, and they are highly intelligent. Yeah. And I do think, standard poodles which are pretty big uh make wonderful pets because yes. they are intelligent and very very loyal yeah yeah they're gorgeous aren't they Love, i, I, yeah, I yeah. do like poodles yeah um it's a great book and we could talk all day it's been really interesting is there anything else Thanks. that you'd like to say about it um i would i would like to say for everyone who buys this book i really hope you enjoy it and thank you and I would also like to say for Romy Blumel, the illustrator, thank you so much for bringing my words to life. You couldn't have done it any better. And I am chuffed to bits. I was chuffed to bits to receive a copy of the book. And if you're in the UK or Ireland, you could win yourself a copy in our giveaway if you can answer this question. Which dog did Nicola say is her favourite? Get your answer to us via email, juliet.dogcastradio.com, or via our social media, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, where we'll also be posting the question. And talking of social media, on Instagram, Nicola is Nicola Swinney, and her publisher is Big Picture Press, there and on Twitter, but on Twitter, Nicola is Nicola J. Swinney. That's all we have time for. I hope you've had a great 2022, and I hope 2023 brings happiness, health and peace for us all. Until next time, and next year, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. 
by email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. We're revisiting a joke of Christmas past here. Hope it makes you ho-ho-ho. They crossed a pointer and a setter. The new breed is a pointsetter, a traditional Christmas pet.